Hello, this is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast. This is the ninth episode. The podcast is still in its early days, and I'm continuing to search for the best ways to present the information about what ingredients are found in processed foods, what are their origins, and what are their advantages and disadvantages as regards our health. The podcast is mostly for educational purposes, but I hope it provides some amusement as well. For today's show, I'm returning to the examination of some common foods in the grocery store. I'll be targeting the ingredients of a bologna sandwich. Can you believe that the lowly bologna sandwich could have 62 ingredients in it? And of those 62, 34 of them can be highly processed. That is, made in factories. For those of you new to the podcast, I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and chemical research. And for many years, I've had a fascination with what we eat, what makes up what we eat, and what it might be doing to our health. Based on my extensive work in the food ingredient industry, I bring some insight information to the subject of processed foods. This podcast is totally free. I will never ask for a financial support of any kind. I operate on a shoestring budget so I can personally handle the costs of production and distribution. My primary goal, stated, is that of education, to provide people with information to make informed food choices. The more knowledge we have about the commercial foods that we eat, the better decisions we can make, and the healthier we can become. One last thing before getting to the main part of the show. This podcast is available all over the place, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and YouTube. Show notes are available at the website podbean.com and also at YouTube. Just search under Food Labels Revealed. And as always, like, comment, subscribe wherever possible. If you have any questions or comments, I can always be contacted at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's all one string for Food Labels Revealed. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. When I think back to my childhood and what I ate for school lunches, I remember my mother packing sandwiches of lunch meat, peanut butter and jelly, chicken salad, or tuna. And as far as lunch meat was concerned, there were massive amounts of bologna sandwiches, certainly not my favorite. I was always puzzled by the spelling of bologna, B-O-L-O-G-N-A. How does a word ending in G-N-A end up sounding like E? Sometimes meat companies used an alternative spelling, B-O-L-O-N-E-Y, which made much more sense to me, but still didn't explain the original and more commonly used word. Now, decades after consuming my last bologna sandwich, I can make sense of it. According to the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, bologna, known in Europe as... Leonair, Leonair, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, probably not. Leonair is a sausage derived from mortadella, a similar-looking finely ground pork sausage containing cubes of lard, originally from the Italian city of Bologna. Mortadella is a thick Italian sausage flecked with bits of fat, peppercorns, and sometimes pistachios. For bologna made and commercially sold 
in the U.S., like hot dogs, which are lumped into the same category, the United States Department of Agriculture, fondly called the USDA, says the product must be comminuted, comminuted, or reduced to minute particles. That means you won't be able to recognize any flecks of lard, spices, etc. in your bologna. It must be uniform. That's right. We're talking meat paste here. Usually pork, sometimes beef or chicken, and sometimes combinations. Bologna is a sausage, so it starts out as a blend of meat, fat, salt, and spices, which are then stuffed into a casing and smoked. Companies that produce bologna tend to be very cagey about their ingredient list, since the trimmings that go into it occasionally come from parts of the animal that make people want to puke. They are also protective of their particular blend of spices, which are conveniently allowed to be listed as simply spices on nutrition labels. Most mortadella and bologna are seasoned with some blend of the following spices, black pepper, myrtle berries, nutmeg, allspice, celery seed, and coriander. Let's talk about a bologna sandwich. Believe it or not, you can actually go online and look up ways to make a bologna sandwich using the website WikiHow or YouTube. Seems like an obvious procedure to me, but I guess some people need step-by-step -step instructions. Of course, there are various ways to construct a bologna sandwich depending upon your palate, but I'm going to resort to a childhood memory, which informs me that a bologna sandwich consists of two slices of white bread lathered with a sandwich spread, then covered with two slices of bologna and a single slice of American cheese. So, for this sandwich, we have four processed foods to check out. White bread, sandwich spread, bologna, and processed cheese. Let's start with bread. There are a zillion types of white bread to choose from, but most use similar ingredients. In my grocery store, shells in the bakery section are stocked with soft and fluffy breads ranging from sandwich slices to buns, English muffins, etc. To take a well-known example, I'm going to look at Sarah Lee's Honey Wheat Bread, a national brand. It costs $2.50 for a one-pound, four-ounce loaf. Do I hear a jingle? Nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. But nobody doesn't like Sarah Lee. Sarah Lee no longer exists as its own company. It's sold under the Hillshire brand's corporate name, which in turn is owned by Tyson Foods. Here are the ingredients in the bread, leaving out the vitamins, minerals, and water. Enriched wheat flour which is composed of flour and malted barley flour, honey, whole wheat flour, wheat gluten, yeast, sugar, wheat bran, soybean oil, salt, calcium propionate as preservative, datum, monoglycerides, cellulose gum, calcium sulfate, monocalcium phosphate, cornstarch, soy lecithin, citric acid, grain vinegar, and lastly, potassium iodate. There are 21 ingredients to consider, with 10 of them being highly processed, 
They are soybean oil, calcium propionate, datum, monoglyceride, cellulose gum, calcium sulfate, monocalcium phosphate, cornstarch, soy lecithin, citric acid, and potassium iodate. Now those of you who have made basic bread at home know that all you really need are four ingredients. Flour, water, yeast, and salt. Maybe you might add a little bit of sugar as a fifth ingredient to give the yeast something to chew on. So why does Sara Lee need 16 extra ingredients? Well, if you look at the rest of the breads in the bakery section of the grocery store, you'll see most of them are like this. There are two reasons, shelf life and manufacturing. As we'll see, most of the other 16 ingredients are in the bread to support these two requirements. Sara Lee does not want their breads going stale during shipment or while sitting on the shelf for a certain period of time. They also want their breads uniform, lacking defects, able to handle the rigors of shipping and handling, and to be resilient. Haven't you noticed that most breads bounce back after being poked? Well, that's no accident. Note to listeners, since there are so many ingredients to talk about, I'm going to be picky about which ones will be covered. I would be here for two hours trying to talk about all of them. If you are curious and really want the details, send me a note at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. Then I'll send you my growing food ingredient additive list with names and descriptions. First component in the list, and the first one I'm going to talk about then, is enriched wheat flour. Composed of flour and malted barley flour. One can assume, with a high degree of accuracy, that Sara Lee uses white flour as the main ingredient, the cheapest and most nutritionally deficient type of flour. That's why the flour is enriched. The company adds back in vitamins and minerals that were removed in the refining of flour to produce white flour. Why does Sara Lee also use malted barley flour? Malted barley flour is often added to bread because it gives the yeast more nutrients, mostly sugar, and provides the bread with a different taste. Malting a grain is the process of letting the grain soak in water until it starts to sprout. The young sprouting barley plant converts some of the starch in the barley endosperm into sugars. The barley is then cooked or ground into flour, which stops the sprout from eating the sugars, leaving them available to the yeast. The fifth ingredient is wheat gluten. Wheat gluten is that portion of the flour that's left after the starchy component is removed. Wheat gluten is very high in protein. It gives structure to baked goods. Gluten is the sticky, stretchy material that forms when wheat flour and water are mixed together and kneaded. Gluten increases the dough's ability to rise. It also increases the bread's structural stability and chewiness. Although gluten is naturally present in flour, it requires substantial kneading to be released. Adding wheat gluten is a shortcut. Consider this ingredient as a manufacturing or processing aid. Moving down the list, the 11th ingredient is calcium propionate. As the label says, it's there as a preservative to keep the bread from going moldy while it's waiting on the grocery shelf to be purchased. There are some downsides to the consumptions of this additive. It has the potential to permanently damage your stomach lining by exacerbating gastritis and inducing severe ulcers. It has been linked to migraine headaches. 
A control group of children fed a strict diet without any food additives was compared to a group that was given traditional bread each day. The clinical trial revealed that irritability, restlessness, inattention, and sleep disturbance in some children may be caused by the preservative in healthy foods consumed daily. These behavioral changes appear to be reversible when the preservative is removed from the child's diet. The twelfth ingredient is datum. This odd acronym is very likely unknown to the vast majority of consumers. Get ready for a mouthful. It stands for diacetyl tartaric acid esters of mono and diglycerides. You can definitely see the need for the acronym on the label. Just to understand where this ingredient comes from would require a degree in chemistry, so I'm not going there. It's another dough conditioner used to improve volume and uniformity. It is considered safe by the FDA, but a study in 2002 on rats showed heart muscle fibrosis and adrenal overgrowth. The 21st and last ingredient in the bread is potassium iodate. This chemical acts as a dough conditioner and bread improver. It may be present to soften the bread for faster mixing and to reduce staling of the finished bread. A residue of potassium iodate is considered a potential carcinogen. The Indian government is considering banning the use of this chemical in their food products. Let's turn to the sandwich spread now. I'm going to examine Miracle Whip Original. It cost $3.69 at my store for a 15-ounce bottle. It's made by the Kraft Company and was introduced to the world way back in 1933 as an alternative to mayonnaise. The ingredients in Miracle Whip are as follows. Water, soybean oil, vinegar, high fructose corn syrup, modified cornstarch, sugar, eggs, salt, natural flavor, mustard flour, potassium sorbate as a preservative, paprika, spice, and dried garlic. There are 14 total ingredients, including water, which is the number one ingredient. There are six highly processed ingredients, namely soybean oil, HFCS, modified cornstarch, sugar, mustard flour, and potassium sorbate. The ninth ingredient is natural flavor. This is the fourth most common ingredient on food labels. What does that mean? What distinguishes a natural flavor from a artificial flavor? The main difference is that natural flavors come from natural sources. Well, that makes sense, right? But the flavor ingredient may be extracted out of a natural product, then purified, and finally added back into the food. So, there can be some definite chemistry going on here. Don't get taken in by that word natural. Food companies are not required by the FDA to specify what flavor additives are used, hence the generic phrase natural flavor. Once again, the consumer is left in the dark. Of course, the food manufacturer wants to protect their formula by revealing as little information as possible. Let's go to the third component of the bologna sandwich, which is, of course, the bologna. Let's look at the Oscar Mayer brand with chicken and pork. Cost in my store is $1.99 for 12 ounces. It has the following ingredients. Mechanically separated chicken, 
pork, water, corn syrup, and it contains less than 2% of the following, salt, ground mustard seed, sodium phosphates, sodium propionate, potassium chloride, sodium diacetate, sodium benzoate, flavor, sodium ascorbate, sodium nitrite, extractives of paprika, and oleoresin celery seed. There are 15 total ingredients, not counting the water. Of these, uh, 11 are highly processed ingredients, namely corn syrup, sodium phosphate, sodium propionate, potassium chloride, sodium diacetate, sodium benzoate, flavors, sodium ascorbate, sodium nitrite, extractives of paprika, oleoresin celery seed. Now, the first two ingredients are mechanically separated chicken and pork. According to Wikipedia, it's a paste-like meat product produced by forcing pureed or ground meat under high pressure through a sieve or similar device to separate the bone from the edible meat tissue. Yes, you heard me right. I said bone. That produces a puree. It's sometimes called white slime as an analog to meat additive pink slime and to meat extracted by advanced meat recovery systems, both of which are different processes. This puree contains bone, bone marrow, skin, nerves, blood vessels, and the scraps of meat remaining on the bones. Yuck! That was a personal comment. It wasn't there in Wikipedia. I haven't eaten bologna, salami, sausage, hot dogs, or any other such things for over 25 years because of how they're made, among other reasons. Canned cat food and dog food is prepared in similar fashion, by the way. Now, you won't see beef included on labels of these kinds of products where they use the phrase mechanical separation. And that's due to FSIS regulations. Uh, FSIS stands for the U.S. Food Safety and Inspection Service. And they enacted uh, a rule in 2004 to protect consumers against mad cow disease. Mechanically separated beef is considered inedible and is prohibited for use as a human food. It's not permitted in hot dogs or any other processed product. I'm going to skip down to the seventh ingredient, uh, which is a group of chemicals called sodium phosphates. Sodium phosphate is an additive that helps keep meats moist and to protect flavor. There are actually four compounds of sodium phosphate that may be used. People with kidney problems may want to avoid foods containing phosphates. While the phosphates found naturally in foods aren't well absorbed, the inorganic forms used as additives are better absorbed and can increase phosphate levels enough to damage blood vessels in those with kidney disease if they're consumed in high amounts. This additive is also a source of sodium, and high sodium consumption increases your risk for high blood pressure and heart disease. Cured meats and cold cuts are among the top 10 sources of sodium in the American diet. All right, let's consider the tenth ingredient, which is sodium diacetate. Sodium diacetate is a fungicide and a bactericide registered to control mold and bacteria in foods. Sodium diacetate is a mixture of sodium acetate and acetic acid. 
It is a white, hygroscopic, meaning it attracts water, crystalline solid, having an odor of acetic acid, commonly known as vinegar. Here is another high source of sodium in the bologna. The 14th ingredient is sodium nitrite. This is the ingredient of the day. It helps keep the meat looking reddish or pinkish, which people prefer as opposed to brownish or grayish. Also, it serves as a preservative against the formation of the botulism bacteria frequently involved in food poisoning. That's particularly important in a product like bologna, which is not usually cooked when the consumer uses it. But this is one of the most controversial additives in the food industry. It's one of the few additives known to have directly caused deaths in the United States. Also, nitrite can produce cancer-causing agents called nitrosamines. The discovery that nitrite helps to cure meat, giving rise to a reddish color, was a total accident. The story goes that when salt was used to preserve meat in the old days, in the late 1800s, sometimes the meat would have spotty areas that were red instead of the usual brown. A chemical investigation found that there were nitrite impurities in the salt being used. From then on, nitrite was intentionally added in the curing of meats. The toxicity of nitrite stems from its ability to disable hemoglobin, the molecule in red blood cells that transports oxygen. Now, nitrite is chemically related to nitrate. When nitrates are consumed in foods, they can be converted to nitrites by bacterial action in the body. That can lead to a fatal condition called methemoglobinemia, also called blue baby syndrome, a disorder which can occur when municipal drinking water contains high levels of nitrate. Infants are particularly sensitive to nitrates and nitrites. In 1976, nitrates and nitrites were mandated to be removed from baby food products. All right, that's it for the bologna. Uh, let's go on to the fourth component of the sandwich, which is Kraft American cheese. Uh, the cost in my store was $3.79 for 12 ounces. But take careful note here. If you look at the package, you will see the words, quote, pasteurized prepared cheese product, end quote. It looks like cheese, acts like cheese, and tastes like cheese, but legally, Kraft cannot call their product American cheese. To explain why, let's take a little trip into the history of the Kraft company, way back to its founder, James Lewis Kraft. Much of this information comes from Melanie Warner's book called Pandora's Lunchbox. In 1903, at the age of 29, James Kraft was living in Chicago, and to earn money, he would buy the best cheese at a local market and peddle it to people who were unable or unwilling to go get it themselves. However, in those days, cheese would spoil rather quickly, if not refrigerated, and many people didn't have the means to keep it cold. Cheese could also spoil by drying out or by separation of its ingredients. So Kraft set out to try to extend the lifetime of the cheese, which would give him a leg up on his competitors. 
one evening he cut up some sutter, some cheddar cheese into a copper kettle and heated it to kill off the microorganisms responsible for mold formation but he just wound up with a cheesy mess he tried different techniques for many years but didn't hit the jackpot until 1914 at the beginning of world war one he knew that the allies in europe needed food that would not spoil quickly one day he heated the cheese longer than normal and found that he could homogenize the cheese into a uniform creamy material that was free of bacteria in his patent of 1916 he wrote that this new product could be kept indefinitely without spoiling Kraft started selling the processed cheese in aluminum tin cans and wound up supplying the U.S. military during the war. In Chicago, the new cheese became a hit because people could keep it for weeks, months, or even years in unopened containers. Originally, the product was called pasteurized loaf cheese. Kraft was one of the first manufacturers to utilize advertising, and from 1917 to 1926, the sales of the Kraft cheese increased 72-fold. Americans were quick to adopt the new technology of canned cheese, and by 1930, the processed cheese represented more than 40% of all the cheese consumed. Makers of artisan cheese strongly objected to this new product and wanted the Kraft cheese labeled as embalmed cheese or renovated cheese to cheapen its reputation. The FDA, or the Food and Drug Administration, established guidelines for the making of homogenized cheese and required the use of the name processed cheese for the Kraft product and its lookalikes. Today it is called American cheese. A few other changes occurred over time. In the 1920s, sodium phosphate was added to help hold the mixture together. It's the seventh ingredient on the label. And in the 1940s, the technology for making sliced cheese was developed. In the 1990s, food scientists at Kraft found a way to make American cheese more cheaply by using less cheese. They started using a new ingredient called milk protein concentrate and found that 25% of the cheese could re be replaced by this cheaper ingredient. It's the third ingredient on the label following milk and whey. Plus, milk protein concentrate had a shelf life of about two years, so that gave Kraft more flexibility in the purchasing of its ingredients. However, that change rankled the FDA, who had already established a standard, or rule, for processed cheese. Rather than dump its new, cheaper formulation, the Kraft company decided to rename the food as, quote, pasteurized prepared cheese product, end quote, instead of, quote, pasteurized processed cheese food, end quote. Most Americans never noticed that the Kraft food had been downgraded from a food to a product. Of course, a huge difference between Kraft cheese product and real cheese is the shelf life. Essentially, the Kraft cheese is a dead food, whereas real cheese is aged and alive. If left untouched, the Kraft cheese will remain unchanged for years, compared to real cheese, which, in a matter of weeks, can go bad in your fridge. End of story. The Kraft Singles American Cheese has the following ingredients. Milk, whey, milk protein concentrate, milk fat, contains less than 2% of the following, calcium phosphate, salt, 
sodium citrate, whey protein concentrate, sodium phosphate, sorbic acid, which is used as a preservative, cheese culture, enzymes, anatto, and paprika extract, and vitamin D3 is at the end of the list. Not counting the vitamin, there are 12 ingredients in this product. Of the 12, there are seven highly processed materials. Milk protein concentrate, calcium phosphate, cit sodium citrate, whey protein concentrate, sodium phosphate, sorbic acid, and enzymes. Most of these have been talked about in other episodes, and there are none that are really unique to this product. But it is positive to note that Kraft uses the natural coloring agents of anatto and paprika to give their product the natural looking yellow-orange color of cheese instead of using some harmful artificial colors. So since most of these have been talked about before, they're pretty common, uh, I am not going to look at any of these individually. So let's summarize what we know about this bologna sandwich that has been made. Number one, there are a sum total of 62 ingredients in the sandwich. Number two, of those 62 ingredients, 34 of them, or roughly half, are highly processed. Three, the sandwich is pretty cheap. A calculation based on the already mentioned prices gives a cost of 93 cents for the sandwich. Number four, there are some dangerous chemicals in the sandwich, which are allowed by federal law. The calcium propionate in bread can cause stomach problems and ulcers and also affect the brain health of children. The datum in bread can affect heart and adrenal gland health. Potassium iodate in bread is a potential carcinogen. Sodium phosphates in bologna can adversely affect people with kidney disorders. And the sodium nitrite in bologna can be toxic and can produce carcinogens after congestion. All right, what about nutrition? Well, I don't really have time uh, to break the nutrition facts down here, so you'll just have to take my word for it uh, for these facts that I'm about to present about the bologna sandwich. First off, there are five sources of sugar. Number two, there are six preservatives used. Number three, there are eight sources of sodium. Number four, there are about 1,100 milligrams of sodium, which amounts to 47% of the daily value. And that's just from eating one sandwich, 47%. And number five, there are about 26 grams of fat in the sandwich, which is roughly 40% of the daily value. So again, just eating one sandwich here, you're getting a substantial amount of your daily requirement of fat. So, what's the consensus here? The fact that there are 62 ingredients in a simple bologna sandwich should tell you something about commercial products, namely that they are very complex foods requiring a plethora of inputs. And each of those inputs has a manufacturing source, a distribution requiring extensive transportation and delivery systems, R&D teams, quality control, marketing, advertising, etc., etc., etc. It kind of boggles my mind what it takes to create a cheap bologna sandwich. Furthermore, about half of those ingredients are industrial created foods or entities that probably didn't exist 100 years ago. So we're putting those substances into our bodies without so much as a fleeting thought about it. 
Now, nobody's likely to keel over dead after eating a bologna sandwich. And if you do, please let me know. But that's not the point. Think about the cumulative effect of ingesting all those industrial chemicals over many meals, over many days and years, and it becomes easy to imagine the eventual adverse effects on our health. I like to cook up Indian food at home, and those recipes are pretty complex. But even the worst Indian recipe can't compete in the number of ingredients uh, that can be found in a simple bologna sandwich. For example, uh, the South India split pea soup I'm making this week has 21 ingredients in it. And although some of them, like the spice mixes, are made in factories, none, none of them are artificially made. So, to finish out this episode, I urge you to watch what you eat, choose natural ingredients, read labels, and educate yourself as much as possible about what you're putting in your mouth. Take care, listeners, and if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants.